0: Welcome to Data Bytes. I'm Susan Wong.
1: And I'm Jesse chazeski k Susan and I are two statisticians in academia, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. We will touch on topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the list may grow. In this episode, we will shine a spotlight on data visualizations. This is an important part of working with data and communicating data science results. Totally. I think of data
0: visualization as making a blueprint for your analysis. And before you can plow ahead and do fancy statistics, you really have to take inventory of exactly what you have to work with. What are the variables that I have? Do they contain any nasty surprises or outliers that might obscure underlying trends?
1: Yes, exactly. And, and sometimes, even though we feel pretty sure about which variables are included, if we um, take a closer look at some various plots, um, we might uncover relationships that actually are are counterintuitive or even contradictory to what our, our subject area knowledge would suggest. And sometimes that means um, there are data errors. So that might be the way something is measured or maybe there's a manually input input. Um, like a manual error, error where someone input the data wrong, and, um, and sometimes that means we simply just didn't know as much as we initially assumed about the subject. Either way, we need to acquaint ourselves with the
0: intricate nuances of the data before we can expect to derive interesting insights. So as part of this episode, we'll talk about some golden rules in data visualization, including some common pitfalls. But Jesse, I worry we're going to run into some difficulties here. Talking about plots over audio, I expect will be really, really challenging.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll we'll just do our best. Um, and if you actually make your way to our website, um, you being the listener, you'll also see links to the plots that um, that we'll describe or reference later. Um, so we'll talk about some good good plots, some good visualization, um, and some bad visualization. So it's, it really is worth taking a look. All right, so shall we go ahead and get started? Sure. So Just to begin, some basic general advice that I have for data visualization is to figure out the message that you're trying to convey and then ensure that the visualization actually accomplishes this. And I guess I should probably clarify, I do not mean figure out how you want to manipulate the viewer and adjust the vis- visualization to um, to skew it towards your perspective. That would be uh, really bad Yes, uh, we are definitely not encouraging that, rather, the hope is that a viewer can just can easily comprehend what 's happening in your visualization. And provide, um, and provide accurate or meaningful insight into the data or the analysis. Um, the various charts and graphs can be helpful um, at taking just complicated information and then presenting it um, in a way that just clearly makes some important points or insights about the data.
0: There are some general principles for producing a clear, understandable, and effective visualization. So we're going to present them as do's and don'ts. So do the do's and don't do the don'ts. Yeah,
1: (laughs) good advice. In (laughs) in general, that's good advice. Uh, So one of our first, or I guess, our first do is um, to make sure that you label everything concisely. And when labeling, this also includes specifying units, if that's relevant. The second do
0: that we have for you is to ensure that the plot suits the kind of variables that we want to show. So these might sound really, really superficial, but seriously, it's kind of important and we want to make sure that everybody gets this. So when we talk about the different kinds of plots, there are univariate plots. These are histograms or bar plots and the histogram would be useful for showcasing a single quantitative variable. And a bar plot or bar chart is useful for showcasing a distribution of a categorical variable. And then when we get into looking at pairs of variables together, we get into these bivariate plots that are box plots, scatter plots, and you could even do stacked bar plots or mosaic plots. And again these all have to do with whatever variables you have. So if you have two quantitative variables that you'd like to visualize together, to look at the relationship between them, you'd use a scatter plot. If you want to look at a plot of a quantitative variable by groupings of a categorical variable, you would use a box plot. And then if you have two categorical variables, you might use stacked bar plots or side-by-side bar plots or um, mosaic plots. So um, a lot of different options that make sure that the plot suits the variable that you're trying to look at.
1: Another do is to report or show plots that tell you something interesting. And then it's often helpful, especially if these plots are um, on a website, in a paper or a journal article, to explain why it's interesting in words. Um, It's not, even if the visualization is amazing, it's not always going to be clear what what the takeaway is without giving some more background or to explain why that whatever you're displaying is important or relevant or interesting. Um, So for example, maybe what you're displaying uncovers an unusual feature of the data or, or outliers, or it suggests some kind of underlying association that that might warrant further investigation. And some journals, just to add on to that, will actually ask you to include figure captions that
0: fully describe what's going on in the plot itself so that the figures can be more standalone as opposed to be something you have to interpret along with some text.
1: Yeah, if I could even just add one more point there. I I do know um, some people, um, some astronomers that I have worked with, who will say that um, they, if they don't have time to read a paper, they just go to each figure and read the caption and try to get the takeaway from whatever that paper is about. So um, clearly, labeling and describing figures is quite crucial.
0: All right, another do we have for you. Do carefully choose how many bins to use in your histograms. So this is a point that um, should deserve a little bit more um, explanation or exposition. That with histograms, it's a nice way of sort of putting in a quantitative variable and then getting a look at the distribution of that quantitative variable. And of course, histograms very heavily rely on the way that we bin our quantitative variable into these different buckets. And there is such a thing as too many buckets and there is such a thing as too few buckets. So in our first link on our website, we show just sort of some examples and guidelines of how you can go ahead and make appropriate buckets. Uh, One rule of thumb is if it looks like a lot of your uh, bars in your histogram all look like they have the same height. It could be that you just use too many bins. Um, And if you have just a few bars and you have so much data, then then probably you're not getting a fine enough look into the distribution of that data set. So then you could probably afford to increase the number of bins as well. And the other alternative is just to use density plots where you get a smoother version of a histogram and you don't have to worry too much about uh, the bin size.
1: Our next don't is... You um don't use too many colors, and we'll give an example later when we're talking about pie charts. So I'm just gonna leave this one at that. Don't use too many colors. Another don't Don't use smoothing procedures that
0: are more flexible uh, than you can accommodate with your sample size. So I've got another link here up on our web that shows. Um, just a plain data set that's built into R, if you guys have R software with you. Um, it's the data set called USA Arrest, and um, this is a quick peek at just two variables, um, murder versus urban population. And what you'll see here is that if you use some of these default smoothing procedures like LOESS or um, or, some, or maybe even just using geom smooth from the ggplot2 package, what can often happen is you would get these um, really unusual insights or maybe, maybe misleading insights that are fit based on very little data. So you'll see that these curves can sometimes be really wiggly near the ends. And so in those cases, you can decide to uh, either don't give yourself that much flexibility or also show confidence spans to reflect the amount of uncertainty that you have at all ranges of your your variables.
1: Do jitter scatter plots. Um, This is done to minimize overplotting. So this, this can happen, this issue can happen where you might have multiple points that are almost at the same location, and so you can't tell that there's actually a multiplicity for that point. Like there could be three points that look like just one. So if you scatter or jitter the um, the points a little bit, then um, that can reveal that there are multiple points. Um, another option is to um, if if whatever software you're using has a translucency feature, so um, you can tell that there are more points because um, the layering of the um, the coloring will be darker, sorry, it will be darker, the more layers, I guess, <laughs> uh, And so, uh, so that's often um, an option in different plotting tools. So you could consider that as well. Cool.
0: Next one is uh, do sort your categorical variables in some of these appropriate plots. So by that, I mean that if you're looking at bar plots, it would be really helpful to actually sort the, the uh, appearance of your bars based on the heights either in decreasing or in increasing order. Um, And you can do the same thing with box plots if you were to sort um, the order of those categories based on the medians.
1: And the final one that we're gonna point out today is, um, it may be surprising, but we're saying- This is the big one though. Yeah, yeah, this is the big one. Uh, Don't use pie charts. And so um, this may be surprising for some of you because you see pie charts all over the place.
0: Yeah, why do we see it all over the place? I I guess it it looks pretty because it's round and and symmetric, but the problem is we should really think about, well we should probably start by reminding our listeners what a pie chart is and and why it's generally used. So one of the main purposes of a pie chart is to show the relationship between different parts or categories to the whole. Uh, A pie chart is, is generally portrayed as a circle with different colored slices, Um, where the size of a slice is based off of the proportion of that category to the whole. So we often see these during election season where we have these proportions of poll voters um, presented as um, the proportion that want to vote for each candidate.
1: Yeah. So Susan, what would you say is one of the biggest problems with pie charts?
0: Well, I think it's really hard to compare proportions um, in the pie chart. So the sizes of these slices, particularly when the proportions are very similar. So if you have two adjacent slices, one is 30% and another is 34 or 35%. It's just a lot harder for us for our eyes to tell which one is is bigger. Um, When I say It's harder, it's comparing to say a bar plot. It's a lot harder for us to visually tell the difference between 30% and 34% when we're looking at things arranged like slices in a pie. Now, there are ways around it. For example, we talked about sorting your categories for bar charts and box plots. And likewise, for pie charts, you can also sort these slices in decreasing size or increasing size. But still, it's just much harder to compare the relative sizes of each slice.
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's actually a really good point. And I think that the difficulty of comparing the slice proportions actually can be compounded when you see a pie chart at an angle. Uh, so sometimes you, you um, may see a, a 3D pie chart that's kind of at a, a tilt. And uh, I, I can't really think of a good reason to ever tilt a pie chart, unless maybe the goal is to be misleading. And well, maybe I shouldn't say that. I guess. I guess. I suppose. Sometimes it just it does look cool. Like it's a, a nice visualization, and so probably most people would do that just because they they think it it looks like a, a nicer visualization. But um, but they don't realize how much tilting it can actually affect how well we can discern the proportions. Um, but that all that said, I guess many um, many charts and plots are, are easy enough to abuse. So it's not. This isn't necessarily specific to pie charts. It's just we, we see this sort of thing happening with some regularity with pie charts.
0: And aside from the difficulty of comparing these slice proportions, when there are many categories, for example, more than three to five, it can be really hard to figure out which slices belong to each category. There are two different ways that we can link the slices to their categories. And uh, for example, you can just draw lines that connect the slices to their category labels. And in those cases, if you have enough categories, the text just all squishes together. So you can't really tell one apart from the other. it's just not very visually appealing. The other alternative is to color code your slices and just have a separate legend off to the side. The problem there is unless you get really careful about picking your colors, the colors could just all look very, very similar. And then you can't tell the difference between them anyway. So for illustration, we present another link here. This is our, the, link, uh, the third link here that is one of a pie chart that is, first of all, it has some tilt, wouldn't you say so, Jesse?
1: Yes, there is a tilt there <laughs> and some, some thickness as well.
0: <laughs> it's like a nice pizza pie and you can see the crust all around it. Um, But it also suffers from all of these issues that we talked about, where even if you were to sort um, the slices, it's still just really hard for us to compare um, the different slices with each other. And and there are just way too many categories being portrayed here. Um, Color coding is not helping us at all here.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, like. I can see why people might want to do it like it, it looks nice like if you didn't actually think about the message it was trying to convey it, it looks like a pretty picture of sorts but um but yeah there are a lot of issues with um with communication <laughs> <laughs> um, a- another issue that I- I've heard other people point out as well is just um pie charts tend to take up a lot of unnecessary space so it's um it, like especially like in a in a paper um a research article usually space is qu- is quite limited, and so you don't typically want to add a, a pie chart which takes up maybe a large portion of a page when you could even just say you know the, the different quantities or use a, a bar chart or a bar plot or something like that
0: and Jesse, that actually reminds me not to embarrass anyone in particular, but a few weeks ago, I was looking at a student produced pie chart that showed. A single pie with no slices, or or maybe with one massive slice with a proportion of a hundred percent, and oh, it my- occupied the entire page. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's classic. At that point, I don't think you <gasps> can save by any of these um, kinds of plots. You might as well just write in text that. There's one <laughs> categorical variable where there is just one distinct value. That would be the most efficient use of space, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, that's so funny because, yeah, there's like this tendency to want to have, especially as, as um, students are, are learning what information is important to convey in like a, a report that they're doing. There's this tendency to want to put everything into a plot. And so that's really funny that, um, yeah. Part, and I part, would say
0: one of the difficulties is that, Well, I say it's a difficulty, but it used to be probably really hard to make pie charts. You'd have to do a lot of math to figure out what angles to draw things. But But now with software, it is so easy, right? You just have to put in your data and, and boom, you can get anything you want. And for some, I think a pie chart is visually appealing and, and they'll just, they'll just use it.
1: Yeah. What can you do?
0: (laughs) Well, let's present a solution. In most cases where you could be using a pie chart, you should just go ahead and use a bar chart or a bar plot. And we should say that a bar plot, which is different from a histogram because it's about showing categorical data, it's got your categorical labels drawn on the horizontal axis, and then a bar with thickness that is drawn to a particular height that corresponds to the quantity Um, or or the proportion, if you still wanna think about things in terms of proportions of the whole. So the heights are gonna be much easier to compare because you could see which bars are taller than others, and they don't have to be right next to each other for you to see either. And moreover, the nice thing is if you want to include additional grouping variables, such as um, incorporating another grouping variable, categorical, for example, you could do a side-by-side bar chart It's just a lot easier to compare bar heights across different panels of these side-by-side bar charts than it is to compare slice proportions between different panels of side-by-side pie charts. And here we include another link that shows sort of these three side-by-side pie charts and how confusing it is to compare the slices between them. Whereas if you look at the equivalent side-by-side bar charts, it's a lot easier to compare heights.
1: Yeah. Uh, so maybe I should not admit this, but but all this said, uh, I have to say I don't actually mind pie charts as long as they're used correctly. You know, using the um, the points that we've made previously, and or, or, or not doing some of the things we've noted, like tilting the pie chart or um, or adding a lot of depth or or whatever. But um, but I, I think a pie chart can be used. It can be nice when used correctly, and then. Um, in a casual setting, and and I guess the purpose just being that they um, you want to quickly convey a, a point, and um, and so you know if there's like two or three categories, I will say more than one category, maybe two to three. Um, it just it can be a, a quick way to just kind of see what's going on. Maybe you know like with the um, the election data, sometimes that's an easy thing to even see from far away. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess I I don't I don't know that they have to be completely disbanded and never again touched. But um, but it is really important to, to make them correctly. Um, also, I'd say just in general, circles can be nice to look at. Um, a, lo- <laughs> a lot of good things are circles, the top of coffee cups, cookies, pizza, and of course, pies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Speaking of that, I think there's just maybe one pie chart that I can stomach. And and I'm going to share this with you, Jesse, and and our listeners as well. Have you seen this? This is a meme. Oh,
1: yes. I like it.
0: (laughs) That's a beautiful looking pie. And and really, it's very effective. There's just two different options. There's pie that I have eaten, and that's the empty space. And the rest corresponds to pie that I've not eaten. So it's very clear.
1: It looks really good too. I don't know if it's like a lemon pie or maybe vanilla, like it just, it looks like a really delicious pie. Yeah,
0: that's true. Depending on the lighting, it could be pumpkin filling or um, lemon filling. We wouldn't know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we, we were not the ones who ate that portion of the pie. Sadly. No,
0: unfortunately not. <laughs> I think I'm getting hungry looking at this picture, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I think I'm getting hungry as well. <laughs> Well, it is
0: almost dinner time here at our virtual recording studio. So, maybe it's a good time for us to bid our listeners goodbye.
1: And I believe the next time you'll hear from us will be after the new year. So, we wish you all a happy a happy holiday break and a very happy new year. And we'll see you in 2019. Till next time.